Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor your clients want to tell their friends about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we'll be talking with Ted Jenkin, who's social media ninja and co-CEO of Oxygen Financial. We'll talk a little bit about Ted's background running a large network of financial advisors and how he left that to start Oxygen with a partner. We'll talk about how they created a special niche to attract XY Gen clients and got to the point where um, people were calling them because of the unique experience they had put together. We'll also talk about how that experience began attracting people outside of that target market and talk a little bit about how that niche can transcend target market. We'll talk about the role of social media and how being yourself can help attract clients. We'll talk about how Oxygen's breadth of financial advice uh, is a core part of their offering and how that helps separate them from other firms as well. There's a lot of really good advice. Um, Ted has thought real hard about this and come up with a lot of really uh, creative strategies that have worked very well, sometimes through trial and error. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. And now, Ted Jenkin. So Ted Jenkin, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me on today. You know, we were really excited to talk with you because Oxygen is a brand that I mention a lot to people as a great example of, of a niche, a great example of how to do something different. Um, you know, what, what do you, your, your tagline is breathe easier. Can you tell us a little bit about what's different about your experience and what's unique about working with Oxygen? Yeah, well, we certainly don't like to be called financial advisors. You know, Oxygen Financial, the last five letters are X, Y, Gen. I wrapped an O to it, and that's how the name Oxygen actually came to be. And we we tagged our slogan of basically breathe easier. And so our financial advisors are actually called private CFOs. And what we do is really position ourselves that our, our clients are sort of the CEO of their family finances and we're sort of that CFO that's by their side. And so your 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 niche that you work with, obviously X Y Gen is in your in, in your tagline. But is is that your exclusive focus, or how do you describe your your target audience? Yeah, I, no, I would say that's our target audience. But it's been the most bizarre thing because as Gen Xers are aging, what's interesting is if your your mid age Gen Xer is forty five years old, we're actually getting referred to a lot of seventy year olds. Because the kids who carry the strength in the family now are actually telling their parents to get away from the big wirehouses and come with an independent firm like ours. So we would have, we would have never said that we would, you know, deal with a lot of 70 year olds, but we're getting a lot more of them de facto as the kids are sort of taking over mom and dad's finances. Well, and what I love about that is that it's a great example. You know, one of the things that, that, you know, I've been working on lately is helping advisors understand the difference between a target market and a niche and that the niche is the experience. So the niche is, you know, all of that stuff that helps clients breathe easier and, and the uniqueness of your locations that we'll talk about in a little bit and all, all, the, all of those things. And while you aimed it at that XY gen target market, there are people who are attracted to that niche who don't necessarily fit that target market. And that's one of the wonderful things about, about niche being different than target. And so um, tell, can you tell us a little bit about um, what your experience was in starting to attract people to that niche that were outside of the XY Gen target? Yeah. You know, what's so interesting to me, and I would have never said this, but you know, 
a lot of a lot of 70 year olds like need a place to go. And, and what's really funny about it is that our offices, several of them are retail offices, which basically, you know, they have like a, it looks like a Starbucks. They have like a, a window bar in it and we have the espresso machine and we serve Yoohoo and Sunkiss and Tab and there's TV and there are rooms where, where people can get some work done. And there are a lot of the older clients that just like the idea, you know, many years ago they used to like drop by the bank because they had nothing else to do, but banks are all like stuffy today. So I think a lot of those older clients, I would have never had said this, by the way, when we started, they just like the idea of coming in and saying hi to our staff and shaking their hand and, you know, sort of shooting the breeze for, for a few minutes and going on their way. And it's, um, it's interesting how that neighborhood model, uh, much like Starbucks has done in the coffee business, actually is impactful and meaningful for those older clients. And, and, it's, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I've had the, 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 uh, I've had the experience of going into one of one of the branches of my local bank a few times over the past year, and it's like a ghost town. It's just I I can't imagine going there and sitting there, you know, hoping to interact with anybody because it's empty. Everybody's doing it over the internet, I suppose, or through the ATM. And yeah, so just like Starbucks, you know, went from vending coffee into making an experience. Um, built around coffee, you know, it sounds like you're making an experience that's built around the financial advice, but as a separate thing unto itself. Well, I think that that's true. You know, um, the, the fact is, and I would say this openly on this um, broadcast today, that I don't really believe anybody has such a better money management solution anymore. And we really all have access to the same products out there. So if you don't differentiate on service or advice, or experience, you know, how is your business going to be better? You know, I have a, I have a bank account with one of my companies at Chase and I walked into a Chase branch because they built a lot of them and this is nothing, not a knock on Chase at all. But when, it, when I went in there, all I was thinking to myself is I wonder if they have a bowl with some Dum Dums lollipops in there. That's all, that's all <laughs> I was thinking to myself is I wonder if I could get one of those little Dum Dums lollipops because that's kind of what I felt like it was, you know, it just didn't feel comfortable to me. And I, it's not, you know, those kinds of uh, branch experiences, I think, are, are going to get worse and worse. It's not what clients are looking for. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the whole physical space and being Starbucks-esque. What are, what are some of the other components of the experience that you would say are particularly tailored to your, to your target or part of that niche? Well, I, I think for sure that you can't uh, underestimate several things. One is is that you want to have a high-touch, high-tech relationship. And so we're a big e-money user. And, uh, you know, whether the people use e-money or not, the, if you aren't really the central aggregator of a client's life, I think it's problematic. I don't know how you can advise if you're not aggregating everything. And by that, I don't just mean giving advice on 401k and IRAs. But we give advice on frequent flyer miles. And that's important. You know, people can acquire five or six programs and they, they don't know what they're doing. Um, so, you know, ha having that kind, of, um, that, that kind of experience is important. Um, speed to response is really important. I demand 24-hour turnaround time by email for everybody in my company. I could care less if it's the weekend. So that may be a reason not to work for Oxygen Financial, but I'm going to tell you, for a Gen X, a Gen X, Gen Y person, speed of response is actually just as important as the quality of the advice. I, I'm, I kid you not on this. You know, uh, if it's eight o'clock on a Sunday night and you respond at nine o'clock, 
that could be more valuable than better advice that was delivered 12 hours later. I'm serious about that. It's and so, so that of course could backfire on you. How how do you how do you manage that? I mean, what what uh, you know, if if my son who's 24 were dealing with a company, he figures he can text them and get a text five minutes later. But obviously, that would put a really unreasonable demand on your staff. Do you lay the? Do, how do you manage those expectations with clients? Well, um, obviously, things like text, we've got certain compliance issues, you know, around what we can and can't do. Um, so you've got to be, you got to share the guidelines of the regulatory compliance guidelines with clients. But, but as far as my staff is concerned, <clears throat> you know, we've got multiple people on every client relationship, and so we're we're. This speaks to your question around experience. We're one of the few companies that sends out a comprehensive welcome kit when you become a client. Uh, nobody gets that stuff anymore, along with a handwritten thank you note. And it clearly says who's on the staff and how to get in touch with people. And if you can't get in touch with one person, here's another person. But I, I've never asked my staff to work 20 hours a day. What I ask my staff to be is available. And and I'm I'm telling you that I think that this is, it's it's going to become a, a wider expectation, not just among X generation, but definitely like you're a 24-year-old. Yeah, they... They expect speedy response, and that's just as important as you being able to deliver comprehensive advice. It is. So it is what it is. You grow your company how you want. I'm demanding of that, and that's why we, we, get, we got 188 referral clients last year. Wow. Out of how many households <laughs> to start with? <clears throat> What's that? Like 188 based on how many households you had just before that. What was, what's the proportion there? It, it's about 1,200 households. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's we're, great. We're, it's only going to get better this year. We're off to a great start this year already. And it's, it's, it's the clients, you know, the clients refer not over return. Okay. It's the wrong way to go about doing it. And certainly advice is paramount. You have to be good at it. But their, their sentimental attachment to the brand is really what's important, you know. Um, and once people get stuck with brand, uh, you know, look at what happens with companies like Amazon, you know, people don't even know why they click the button anymore. They just know they, they got Happyville with a package coming in the mail every day. It, it's, you know, it's a, um, we, we demand the way that we present the brand is always presented in that experience fashion. I'm interested in So we did some, we do research every year with investors and I, began to notice that when we asked investors if they had referred that younger investors seem to be referring more. Is that your experience? And do you think it's for the reason that you just said because of the brand connection or do you think they just refer differently? Well, what, what I notice now is that um, there's a, there's a paradigm shift in, in how the referral comes to you. And so because we're in that younger generation, <clears throat> the reason they refer more is that they're much more willing to make virtual referrals. So, you know, the old referral process is you ask value questions, you give clients some cards, or maybe they go home, they talk to somebody. But with the way that social media is and just electronic communication, uh, those younger clients are much more willing. It's much easier to just make a virtual introduction, you know, no harm and no foul. So we, we see a lot of that. So tell us what one of those looks like. How does somebody make an, an electronic referral? Well, the, the, the way that we would do it proactively is if you, use a, if you use something like LinkedIn, in every profile, there's something called a share button. And it's very easy for somebody to share your profile 
put somebody else's name at the top and basically say, hey, Ted, get to know Rebecca. Rebecca, get to know Ted. Ted's my financial advisor. I don't know if you guys will have a reason to do business or not, but I think the two of you would get to like each other, you know? And it's just a simple email like that. And younger people are willing to do that all day long. And is that something that you have a strategy for encouraging or is it something that just organically happens? No, we have a strategy of how we encourage it in the firm. But I'm saying, you know, on a natural basis, a lot of the referrals we get at Oxygen don't happen via a call-in. They happen from either people hitting the website and and um, it says, you know, referred by Joe so-and-so, or it basically has a referral. It'll say, you know, Ted get to know Duncan, Duncan get to know Ted. We used to both work together at CNN. I think you guys would, would like each other. So it doesn't say we have to do business, but I mean, I'll forward you guys a, a whole bunch of these and you'll be blown away on what people write. I will. Right after we finish the broadcast, I'll forward you a bunch that if you just black out the names, you can publish them. It's it's amazing. That's great. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes if we can black those out. It's amazing. Yeah. And I know that you, well, can, uh, can you tell us, let, let's back up a little bit. Can you tell us how you and Kyle came up with this idea in the first place? Well, um, you know, I was at uh, IDS Financial Services turned American Express, and um, my last job at American Express, I was managing 800 financial advisors, and then American Express came to be Ameriprise, and it's all a fine institution, but most of the large institutions were interested in continuing to manufacture products and then distribute them through their salespeople. And they were interested in focusing in on the baby boomers. And I had read a book called Blue Ocean Strategies. And I thought, gosh, you know, if everybody's going to go after this golden age of financial planning of retirees and baby boomers, yeah, I know everyone says that people at my age and younger don't have any money. But if I just work with them for the next 20 years, they will have a lot of money. And so um, I was actually at a Chick-fil-A and I have, you know, X, Y, Gen like scratched on the back of a napkin I start doodling, you know, on it and the doodle turned into an O and I was like, hey, I wonder if Oprah owns Oxygen Finance. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm like, all right, well, you know, so oh, it turns out Oprah didn't own it and then we were able to trademark it. And, um, you know, at the time back in 2007, you know, everybody said, you guys are stupid. Why do you want to work with people that have no money? And, uh, you know, we said that most of the good advisors in this business that you talk to, they didn't start out with million dollar clients. They started out with a bunch of younger clients that didn't have as much money and they've grown with them, right? They're not, they weren't bringing in million dollar accounts when they started in the business. Sure. And, and so what's happening to us now is that the average age of our client is probably 45 in that nature. And we're starting to run into some heavy duty money because these people in their late 40s and early 50s, they're making... They've got money. They, they're not broke. Well, right, and and you know, and it's it's it re, it recalls Wayne Gretzky's you know great advice of you know skating to where the puck is going to be as opposed to skating at it where it is now. Yeah, and as you guys um, know, it's evolved. You've got you know big organizations like the um, the XYPN network now that I think all evolved out of what we originally you know created. And so how I was did you wondering if I could ask you a bit more about the social media? You talked about virtual introductions and and I mean it seems clear that as you were evolving this brand, social media would be an important component of it. I think on your site it says you're the social media ninja. Have I got oh, yeah. that right? Yeah, oh, oh yeah. I tried. <laughs> so, 
So, Ninja, um, <laughs> so tell me about that role, but I'd love to know more about really the strategy around social media. So let's talk about the 10,000 foot view, okay? Um, people, I'll, I'll give you three pieces of this, okay? Because I built all this from scratch. I never hired a PR firm. I never had a social media coach. I just basically did it the good old fashioned way, banged my head up against the wall until I figured out what I was doing. I'm, I was convinced 10 years ago, and I'm still convinced today, especially after this recent election, that the media is so impactful in how consumers make decisions that your absence in the media will eventually make your firm absent. And so I spend a lot of time figuring out how to get quoted in newspapers and magazines. Um, it ultimately, uh, by doing the social media, I'm, I'm able to write a column now for the Wall Street Journal. I go on every Saturday or Sunday to CNN Headline News as their personal finance expert. And when you go on these programs, it's not like your phone rings off with 20 people. But over time, it has a material effect on how clients view your firm. Because no matter what people want to say, clients want to be with people who are successful, or at least in their mind, they perceive them to be successful. And they want to refer people to companies they believe to be successful. So having a media presence on that part of social media is very important. People are very influenced on what they see when you, when you repurpose those TV shows on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. They're very influenced by what they see. Um, two, you've got to be able to deliver free content out there to prove your, your worth. And so I knew nothing about blogging. Um, I don't remember, it was six or seven years ago. I went to the first, what's called to be the FinCon conference, right? And this is like the financial bloggers conference. Now the thing's really like blown up the last couple of years. The first one that I went to, I'm asking all sorts of people. I'm saying like, hey, you know, what firm do you work for? And someone's like, what firm? I run a blog called Mr. Money Mustache. I'm like, what, what the <laughs> hell are you talking said, about? I just heard about that like in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, Mr. I met Mr. Money Mustache. <laughs> I thought it, I thought somebody was punking me on a survey. <laughs> oh, oh, no, and I realized that that what happened was people were were actually making a career blogging. And I said, you know what? I don't. I'm not the best writer in the world, but I'm just going to start writing articles. And I committed to writing three articles a week. And basically, for five years in a row, I wrote three articles a week. And it got, it got me 25,000 subscribers to my blog. And when people would look at my name on the internet, they could find all these articles. And it, it increases your organic uh, rank with Google. And so you've got to have content out there because you know when people get referred to you, right? They are going to Google you. And if what's up there between images and videos and news, it's not highly visible to quickly influence that they think that you're actually good. They might not even never call you. I mean, they just may never call you. So, so then there's, and then the last piece of this now is that I've created some automated software because it was too time consuming to do it by hand to, to constantly post at a high rapid pace on all platforms. This is not a different strategy than marketing's been for 50 years. It's all about repetition and frequency, right? And so it's the same thing with social media. If you, if you have lots of repetition and frequency, you're going to be in front of people when they're at a buying decision. If you're, you post once a month, nobody cares. And, and so that's what we're doing right now. 
So that that all keeps you in front of people. One of the things I was struck by, and 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 you can tell me whether th- this has changed with oxygen, but uh, at least early on, one of the things that that separated you from other advisors is the character of your of your firm. That it, I got the distinct impression at looking at your site and looking at um, you know the the stuff that was out there about you that was that you know you you had you projected a fundamentally different personality. That that this is not your dad's private bank kind of thing you know with you and you and Kyle in funny costumes and doing funny things and that oh, kind yeah. of stuff what, what 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 role did that play in, in in helping create that niche and attract people to the firm well it hasn't changed much and a few weeks ago we did the mannequin challenge which I think got you know two or three thousand views on there <laughs> <clears throat> unfortunately I think there were bottles of whiskey and I think that when we played we played the mannequin song they forgot to delete the profanity in it but you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, here's the thing. Um, my attitude is this, is that the universe is large and not everybody wants to do business with us and we don't want to do business with everybody, right? And we, we are the way that we are, you know. I'm, I'm an off-color, uh, odd personality, so is Kyle, and we say what we say. And if you really don't like that and you don't like our humor and you think that makes us too jokester-ish for you to invest a million dollars with us, then we're the wrong company. And that's okay. And so we, we put ourselves out there to be, you know, who we are. We're, we're serious about our business, but we do like to clown around. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so, um, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change about us. I think uh, I'm building a $22,000 studio right now in our new location. And uh, the 100%, I'm going to carry on that same way. So a video studio you're creating or? Yeah, I'm, I'm using something called a TriCaster studio and I'm going to build out uh, like a two shot studio so I can do more uh, interviews with CNBC and stuff like that. But as I create sets and, and, and other types of programming, I've got a uh, I've got a podcast I'm starting soon called The Money Ref. And that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun where I'm going to let two two uh like a husband and wives come on and duke out their financial concerns in front of me. Can I sign up for that? <clears throat> you know, because that's kind of, you know, no one wants to say it. It's like in the X and Y generation, we're like part financial advisor, part therapist. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of what it is. And so uh, what I've no, no doubt in my mind that we'll create, you know, content like that. So you've talked about, I mean, you've touched on this, but maybe I can just ask it a bit more explicitly. When you look forward and you look at, you know, Gen Z or whatever we're going to call this next cohort coming up, what what do you see is going to be fundamentally different or what do you um, assume or, or think will be different about the way that we build this experience? Well, I think advice and experience are going to be the two um, ace cards. You know, certainly service matters. Uh, products are going to mean nothing. Uh, I don't think the client can make any distinction anymore between one fund and another. Um, and I think you're going to have to learn how to market successfully through the phone. So the last couple of years, I've been using a, a one-way texting solution. So on your phones, I, I actually own a code. And basically, you can text uh, keywords to that number, and then I have different responses that I get back to you, and then I can drip text you. And I think the marketing is going to get even larger through the phone. You know, it's funny. People, if you ask somebody who their best friend is, they'll give you a name. But the truth is, it's their phone. And, uh, you know, nobody, nobody wants to say it, but 
you, you almost sleep with that baby every night. <clears throat> you know, it's there in the morning, it's in your pocket, it's next to you in the car. And so that that's where all of this in my mind, the next five to 10 years, all going to head into the phone. So I, I've done that um, with lead pages. Is that who you use or someone else? No, I, I built my own solution off of TextWire. Okay. And, and so if you, if you take 89800-89800 and you text the word TED to it, you'll see an example of the mobile business card. And then I built a piece of software. And actually, I've done this in a compliant way now where you can do one-way texting and then I can shoot out eBooks or messages and... I think that uh, if you think about where email was, you know, 20 years ago, uh, everybody wanted to check their email. Now everybody, you know, is like frightened to death to open their email. And texting is at the beginning stage of that right now for marketing. Right. Interesting. You do some work with uh, advisors as well. Aren't you training advisors on um, some of the work that they need to be doing? Yeah, you know, I was never planning to get into this and <clears throat> I had a few advisors that had seen oxygen stuff and, and asked me if I would do some coaching and I thought, God, I, I got back into practice to get out of management, not into management. And um, I ended up creating a program called the Social Media Black Book. And uh, yeah, I, I probably had uh, 3,000 advisors go through the program now, but I've created a, a whole training course on what to do and, and um, it's not very expensive. It's just kind of a it's been kind of something that's been fun. And what kinds of things do advisors learn on that? Well, I've tried to teach them the nuts and bolts about how to use LinkedIn and Facebook and if they're doing Twitter or blogging to basically generate more leads. So I'm showing them the simple things from, you know, how to optimize their profile to how to use uh, query searches to get more in-service distributions um, you know, to figuring out how to make the Facebook page effective to generate more leads. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I, I really feel for advisors. I have to tell you because, you know, they're always being approached by these SEO people and people that build websites and, and advisors don't really know the lingo. So more often than not, they get ripped off. They pay 10 grand for a website that doesn't do anything. And, you know, uh, people are like, oh, you have a great website and you're getting tons of people to come but you're not getting any leads. So it's, it's a, uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel for advisors. It's part why I do it because it's like, you know, we're getting hit up by people all the time and, you know, a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. So what do you think are the top couple of things that advisors should know about what their, what their website needs to do to be effective for them? So if they're getting these websites done that just, you know, they spend a lot of money and, not, and they're not working, what kinds of things um, should be on that website to make it effective. Yeah. So I, I think there are probably three or four things, but I would highlight it like this. I mean, at, at least once every advisor that's listening to this should try and have somebody explain their Google analytics to them. And one of the first questions I would ask myself is what's my bounce rate and the bounce rate for, you know, advisors that are listening just says like if 10 people came to your homepage, how many people leave your website without going to any other pages? Because if people are just coming to the homepage and leaving, then maybe your website didn't do, you know, what it was supposed to do. Two, I would be asking myself how many leads did I get? So even if you got 10,000 people that came to your website, obviously the website may aesthetically look beautiful, but I would rather have a lousy looking website that generates leads than an aesthetically beautiful website that generates nothing. So if your web people say you got a great website, what does that really mean? 
does it look great or do you want a website that actually does something? And I think you're going to see advisors start to matriculate to, yeah, I know this looks real pretty and I have colors and the images look good, but yeah, I mean, what does my website do? <laughs> Just generate leads. Sure. So page views are, are important, you know, and learning what I call to be your tree maps. So it won't take you long if you have a decent web person to actually walk you through that. If people are looking at three or four pages, what are the pages that are people are looking at the most? And maybe you want to shuffle how your pages are presented on your website because you have some pages you thought look really good, but nobody looks at them. And you have some pages that you thought nobody would look at, but people look at a lot. And I think if you look at those kinds of things, you'll you'll start thinking more about conversion than you just do around pure beauty of your website. What what are some of the things that an advisor would put on a homepage that would get a visitor to go deeper into the site? I'm I'll, oh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, so my number one thing for advisors is I would say just look at Amazon. Amazon's a really horribly awful looking website. Um, but it's actually the best website I've ever seen to get you to buy crap. And, <laughs> you know, and so what I would be telling most advisors is think pictures and buttons and forget about words. Think pictures and buttons and forget about words. Nobody reads anymore. I'm serious. If people read more than like a paragraph, that's a lot. Interesting. Interesting. So buttons that might do things like what? Yeah, get a free ebook, download the complimentary budget sheet, you know, get your 10 page free estate planning guide, you know. Sure. Uh, th those kinds of buttons that say, you know, demo this, learn more, look now, uh, you know, um, you know, we, I don't know what the word is called, so I'm just going to make it up and say it's clickyitis because <laughs> people, people just have, you know, people just, this is the way it is today. You know, the good sites get people to start clicking buttons and they, they, it basically lulls people into like a trance and then they just buy stuff. You know? And what you're talking about here would apply no matter what the niche, right? I mean, whether somebody was targeting young people or, you know, dentists, the, these same things apply more and more totally. to, to all users, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, if your website has the long, the long um, paragraph that's just like, we at Johnson and Smith since 1862, you know, right. no, <laughs> no, nobody's reading that and nobody wants to see you and your cronies in front of a, you know, in front of a glass cabinet in a big mahogany boardroom, you know, nobody wants to see that stuff. Nobody cares. Um, you know, what you want to do is get people there. And, and by the way, if you notice the really good technology websites today that sell software, they're all very storyboard driven, uh, low words, high pictures, lots of buttons for call to action. And that's advisors do not think that way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a good point. So um, whether it be uh, smartphones or responsive websites or clickyitis or whatever it is, what, what, what do you think is, is the... Credit for that word? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I'll submit it to Webster's myself. Um, what, uh, what do you think is going to be the next big thing in the, in the next few years? What do you think the, the, the big things are that, that advisors should keep their eyes on in terms of attracting clients? I'm glad you asked that. Um, I, again, this is just my opinion. You know, I'm just, I'm just one marketer that's out there. But the reason I'm building a $22,000 studio is I'm 100% convinced that text is here and it's coming. And then after that, um, everything is going to uh, stream and short form mobile content. So, you know, I really believe what you're going to see me do a lot more next year is live streams. 
where you know, I wouldn't even call them TV shows. They'll just be like live streams of stuff. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to create short form mobile videos that people would see in places like Facebook. It's like, you know, how do you explain a 401k rollover in 28 seconds and do it with pictures? You see what I'm saying? It, 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 sure. It's got to be that way. Like, okay, I don't really have time for all of this stuff. And this is, you asked that question about Gen Z. It's just like, okay, my attention span is worse than ADHD. So like explain it to me in 20 seconds. And I think if you can't do that in the future, it's going to be difficult to compete. It is. It's going to be tough. Okay. We're coming up on, on time here, and there's a lot of really great stuff. Well, first, before I, before I ask where people can find you, is there anything else that we should be asking you? Because obviously, you've got a really good sense of what's going on out there and, and how to effectively market. What, what kinds of things did, not, did we not ask that, that advisors should know? Oh, I just think that you know, for an advisor that's got a very mature practice that has you know, clients that are 65 to 70, there's no, there's no shame in building a division two that if you aren't proactively building something uh, for your younger clients that's cost affordable, I think that you're going to have jeopardy A in selling your practice um, and keeping those clients. I think you'll ultimately hurt the value of your business. So uh, it's a, don't assume that they all don't have any money. Right. It's, it's good, a good segment. Well, and let, let me ask you this too. So you, you've been addressing some of the things that established firms um, should do differently if they want to keep up with things. What, what about the people who are just starting firms? I mean, what, um, what are the big lessons to, to get a practice off the ground, um, you know, before you burn through all your savings? Well, it's tough. I mean, you know, the commission world is going away today, you know, so it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be tougher to start a practice. Uh, I would go very low cost of my overhead. I would recognize the fact that uh, you can market anywhere in the United States now and that a lot of these younger clients don't even care if they meet face to face. You know, I think it's a, about the model. Like I said, it's about the experience, you know, and if you can provide that, um, you know, uh, you could do OK. But it's I think it's going to be tougher. I think younger advisors might want to try to apprentice in with the firm for a couple of years before they do it, because I think starting one solo from the scratch when you're young, it's going to be tough. Sure. So what is the one thing you would recommend to advisors um, that they do to get their clients talking more about them? You know, I, I would say for most people, um, you know, hopefully you like who you are, you know, and if you do, then that's exactly what you should allow to shine through your social media. And we, we were, we've been taught for many years that you never discuss politics with clients, you never discuss religion. And what social media all about is being social. It's not being financial. It's about being social. And so you got to be who you are and, and be good with that because they're going to find out one way or another. So the quicker you get at it, I think the, the quicker you'll have success. Yeah, great point. Well, look, I know we're just coming up on time. Where, um, where can folks find you, Ted? If you go to oxygenfinancial.net and you click on my, my, uh, <clears throat> my face and the about us, section uh, that's an easy way to do it or you can go to ditchthenametag.com if you just want to talk social media stuff it's called ditchthenametag.com and uh you know either way it's not not hard to find me on the internet well ted thanks so much for joining us there's a lot of great stuff here and and you've been so creative and in, in, in developing and promoting oxygen we really appreciate you sharing some of your uh some of your wisdom with us and uh 
uh, I would encourage all the listeners to go and to go to ditch the name tag or to Oxygen Financial because um, you guys have a lot of really interesting stuff going on, a lot of things that uh, advisors could learn from. So thanks very much for joining us today. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.